Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. Okay, I know we frequently, perhaps too frequently, talk about the local weather <laughs> on our podcast that is not a hyper-local podcast, but oh boy. We were hit with some strange weather this evening. Oh my goodness. Normally we just complain that it's, oh, it's super cold or it's super hot. Like the extremes of temperature. Yeah. Tonight the weather is weird. Yeah, for the first time I can certainly remember, we received uh, a snow squall warning here in landlocked Edmonton. Now I know what you're thinking. A what what? Yeah, uh, this is something that, Tends to come up more often, apparently, in eastern Canada or off the Great Lakes, not in the <laughs> middle of the western prairies. But, uh, yeah. But there's large bodies of water, which explains crazy wind. Snow squalls are when you get high winds in excess of, like, 100 kilometers per hour and uh, blowing snow during these periods. So you get, like, periods of zero visibility because there's just snow everywhere. And then, like, it comes in waves. No one can see you gesturing, honey. Yeah. So you get, like, like 15, 20 minutes of just blistering winds and near zero visibility from all the snow that's blowing around. And then it stops. And it's eerily quiet. And then it picks back up again a little while later. And that's kind of what we've been going through this evening. It's been terrifying. Yeah. Uh, crazy high winds that we don't normally see in the winter, certainly. A lot of power outages around the city. Thankfully, not where we are at present. So we're able to record as Yet, normal. not good. I felt incredibly bad for two people who were walking past our house uh a parent and a child they were bundled up so i don't know all i know is a parent and a child an adult and a child and they were walking through this horrible wind like being blasted with snow never in my life have i wanted to run out to strangers and say please come into my home where it's safe which is unfortunately a terrible idea in the midst of a global pandemic i know so. but <laughs> I felt bad for them. They were walking out in this horrible wind that, that seriously had been, had come out of nowhere. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, like, a block sooner in their walk, things were pleasant, cold, but pleasant and calm. And suddenly, ugh, the fury of Queen Elsa, like, terrifying. Yeah, it was, uh, it got pretty intense out there very quickly and then kind of died off. And then got intense again. And then got intense again, yeah. I'm not looking forward to the cleanup outside tomorrow. We'll put it that way. Ugh, it's going to be very snowy and blowy and stuff everywhere. Indeed. But that is for tomorrow. For today, we take a look back at chapter 16 of our novel, 
in which our team started on their journey to Dolingo after passing through a mystical door. And uh, Tracker was given an order to stay awake for as long as possible. Right. And uh, did so until the next day, whereupon he awoke to find himself being carried like a tiny babby <laughs> by an ogo. After spending the night trying very hard not to be attracted to Detective Mossy. That's right. Where he failed. Indeed. Uh, then they were attacked by giant witch monsters, assumably under the control of AC, which they fought off. And then they continued onward to the safe house, where they will arrive at the beginning of Chapter 17 of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. So apparently they've been traveling about three days. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, uh, in order to reach the safe house of uh, apparently another one of Sogolon's friends. Who looks exactly like her other friend. Yeah, which yeah. is commented on. Right? And then never touched on again. Oh, no, it gets kind of uh, brushed off by the guy, too. Right? So we don't really get an explanation for this. Well, same guy? Twin of guy? How many of these guys are there? Ooh, is this like Patton Oswalt in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? To be fair, Patton Oswalt in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was one of triplets, apparently. Means <laughs> there's another one out there? Sogolon is still exhausted, even after all this time. Apparently, uh, fighting off whatever attacked them in the previous chapter really did a number on her. They spend the night. To just kind of recuperate. And the next morning, Tracker is like, all right, I've been trying to get an explanation from this witch for days. We're having this conversation now. Like, like she cannot talk to me. She cannot dodge me anymore. So he goes to talk to her and the girl actually steps up on him and tries to stop him. They really need to give her a proper name. Because she does not presently have one. Um, Tracker even calls her bluff in this moment. And discovers, much to his amusement, that she isn't bluffing when she threatens him with a dagger. Uh, and she does try to stab him and, of course, fails because the Sangoma's protections on him include the fact that he cannot be killed by metal instruments, apparently. Yes. She's also pretty clumsy in an attempt to, like, attack him with, like, a knee or an elbow. And he finally just knocks her through the door and follows her through. So Glan is sitting at the window and is... Like, barely even bothered by this. She's just like, will you stop annoying me and come in already? <laughs> <laughs> will you two stop that? Indeed. She's uh, in the middle of sending pigeons, apparently, to warn the Queen of Dolingo to expect them. And this is a little uh, clue about some more information we're going to learn later in this chapter. Yes. Uh, because there is a reason that they're going to visit the Queen of Dolingo. We just don't know what it is yet. Take an educated guess. Oh, no. We, I mean, by the end of the chapter, we know what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Sogolon is still not interested in telling Tracker anything that he does not need to know. And Tracker's argument at this juncture is like, lady, we're we're at the point where I need to know everything. <laughs> right. Like, th this is no longer a situation where there are secrets you need to keep from me. I really like the argument he puts forward, where he admits that the reason he's stayed up to this point is because he finds it fascinating, right? That there's this great mystery to uncover, but he knows that things are deliberately being kept from him, and now it's frustrating that no one is telling him anything, so now the mystery is going to be why he leaves. Because he's done. Yeah. 
Uh, Mossy actually walks in on this conversation too, and Sogolon actually kind of deflects to him a little bit here in an effort to, I think, maybe derail the conversation. But she essentially tells him, you should, like, turn around and go back to Congor and forget that you got involved in this business. And he's like, uh, it's a little too late for that. You kind of burned down my job. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, he does make an argument for his usefulness, though, something that Sogolon in previous chapters has implied that she... Uh, likes to know what people's usefulness is. Right. Uh, he's pretty good with a sword, and he's intrigued by the adventure. So he's he's all in if they're willing to have him. More importantly, he also grabbed the Ritz before the library burnt down. Right, so he has some important info. And, more importantly, appears to be the only one in the party who can read them. See? Useful. Because Tracker can't read the glyphs, and it turns out neither can Sogolon, which catches Tracker off guard, actually, because, again, he saw similar glyphs in her room back in Congor. And Sogolon kind of sheepishly admits, mm, actually... Yeah, Bunchy did that one. That wasn't that wasn't me. Yeah. Sogolon finally relents and reveals some information. The first kind of little bombshell she drops is that she actually works for Kingquash's sister. Yes. And she met with Fumanguru before he died. Yeah. To discuss the succession. Yes. And this, this is all this yes. This is all good info. Yeah. The matter of the succession is also clarified here somewhat because we were a little fuzzy on it up until this point. Yes, we were we making were. a lot of uh kind of educated guesses, but here it's pretty much spelt out for us. Historically, the kingdom passed to the king's sister's eldest son. The king's nephew. Yeah. That changed under Quashmoki. He murdered his sister and her family so that his eldest son could inherit and then sent his daughter to an ancient sisterhood where no one is allowed to bear children to ensure that his son's son could inherit. Yeah. Um, and the land has been cursed by this perversion of the natural order ever since. I am curious as to why he would do that. Because he wanted his son to inherit. Yeah, but why? Probably because... What's in it for him? He just didn't want to pass it on to his daughter. Maybe he liked his son better. Maybe he was just a raging misogynist. We don't know. Well, maybe. I was just curious. There was no reasons for why the why their tradition suddenly changed. Why this king decided that it needed to be his son instead of his nephew. To be fair, we're talking like four or five generations back. I know. So it's possibly just unclear why he made that decision. Mm. Or he may have been getting bad advice from people. Who Maybe. knows? It's certainly unclear to me. Yeah. Um, it's also unclear to Tracker what this alleged curse is, because he's heard a couple times now that the, the land is cursed by this change in the succession. But he's like, I don't see a lot of curses around. Certainly, the kingdom has a history of conquest and victory in the last few generations. It doesn't seem very cursy to me. And so Galan says, ah, but you're not looking behind the curtain. Because behind closed doors... In the palace, there be some problems. Mm -hmm. Specifically, apparently, the royal line is super weak and has a lot of trouble producing viable heirs. They they have a lot of trouble having boys, apparently. This is all getting very Game of Thronesy on us here. Um, there's also apparently some mental decline afflicting the royal line as well. This is where it gets Game of Thronesy. Yeah. Um, and she even spells out like the southern king is mad because he is born from generations of incest. Like, he's not right. But in the north, the problem is not the result of incest, it's the result of evil in the family line because right. of this perversion of the social order. So Tracker's like, okay, 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 fine. 
you've you've laid this out pretty succinctly. What does this have to do with the boy? And Sogolon's like, well, what do you think you know of the boy? So he turns to Mossy and has Mossy read the passage again that we got from the library chapter about the God Butcher and the Killer of Kings. And Tracker is like, this is, as I understand it, a prophecy about this boy. And Sogolon finds this hilarious. It's like, why would anybody put a prophecy on a child? That's a terrible idea. Children are useless. (laughs) You don't make a prophecy about a child. Horribly unreliable. Never depend on children in your prophecies. Chosen ones shouldn't be children. You're just going to end up in trouble that way. She has some solid arguments. And then Mossy jumps to a conclusion. He's like, oh, this boy is destined to kill the king. Yeah, he's like, clearly this AC guy is the god butcher, and this boy is the killer of kings. And Sogolon's like, you guys are like halfway there. He's like, you're so close. But you just haven't haven't figured it all out. Tracker kind of retorts to Sogolon here and is like, listen, you're telling me this prophecy has nothing to do with the boy, but I don't believe that because I don't believe your story. It doesn't hold water. The boy is not just proof that the king killed Fumanguru. That doesn't make sense. Like, based on everything else we've seen, based on everything else we know, that doesn't make sense. And he's no more proof that the king killed Fumanguru than literally anything else. (laughs) Right? She insists she's only being honest with him, but Tracker counters, ah, if that is the case, that means that you have been lied to. (laughs) Because, again, the story doesn't make sense. He actually breaks down a lot of the ways uh, that the story doesn't make sense too, including the fact that he he finally reveals that he knows why she was at Fumanguru's house before him in Congor. It was because she was trying to hide something from him. He also suspects she took the month he was missing in the Darklands to try to find a way to track the boy herself, but failed. Yep. So either she's leading him to something or she's just terrible at hiding things. And either yep. way, it's time for her to just fess up the truth. Right. He also says, you clearly need me because you can't do this on your own. And even if you're unwilling to admit it to me or to yourself, that is the case. So just lay it out for me. Yeah. And this is where he's like, tell me or I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, he's right. If you didn't need me, you'd have gotten rid of me already because you clearly hate me. Yeah. She waited an entire month for him. Yeah. Mossy actually backs him up here, too. And Sogolon finally kind of softens on this and reveals... Okay, here's the situation. The boy is not prophesied to kill the king. Because the boy is the The king. king. Bombshell. What? So this is where we segue into Sogolon laying out everything. And she tells the story of Princess Lissa Solo, who we already knew about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, She is the current king's sister. She grew up apparently very willful and clever. And decided at a pretty young age she didn't want to be sent to join some sisterhood to remove her from the line of succession. Rather, she wanted to prove her usefulness to her father so she could remain at court and be a part of ruling the kingdom. It's strongly implied that she didn't necessarily really even have designs on becoming his successor so much as she just wanted to be in the game. Yeah. Um, And the fact that she so impressed her father that he started to consider making her his successor is actually kind of secondary to that. Yes. Because the king, in spite of himself, loved her for her willfulness and wished that his son, disappointing Quash Dara, was more like her. Right? It's not his exact words, but he basically keeps calling her the son he wish he had. Yeah. Uh, apparently, 
from Sogolon's story, Quash Dara, who we kind of got an impression as being kind of a dashing, sporting young man in previous chapters, was actually something of a sadistic fool. Yeah, he was kind of, he was scary. Yeah, and this ultimately resulted in the king agreeing to change the rules and not send her away, as had been the tradition for several generations. On the condition that she find a lord or prince to marry, nothing less than that. And she agreed. And she found herself a uh, a, a, a prince, consort. Was a prince without a prince, prince without, without land? Without land, yeah. Um, and bore four children to him. Apparently, sometime later, the king died, somewhat mysteriously. Mysterious, though. And Quash Dara just kind of assumed the kingship, despite the fact that some people were like, well, "No, that that's necessarily what the king wanted." And then very promptly accused his sister of treason as a pretext to remove her from court. At a fancy dinner party, no less. At a very fancy dinner party. Now, it's a little unclear if she maybe had been plotting a little bit behind the scenes or if this is completely fabricated. Don't know. My guess is that she may have been plotting a little bit behind the scenes. She did not like her brother, and I think the writing was kind of on the wall and the kind of king he'd be, so maybe she was making some moves. Uh, maybe. Either way. She gets whisked away to the dungeon. Uh, after a couple weeks, the king visits her to give her the tragic news that her entire family has also died under mysterious circumstances. Uh, this is also the first time apparently AC enters the story here because he was in tow yeah, <laughs> on this. That was uncomfortable. Yeah, Lassa Solo doesn't believe this mysterious illness story for a second and she curses dara and ac both and then the next day is sent to join the divine sisterhood mm, how convenient indeed there's something really interesting that i want to touch on that happens in the story here mm -hmm. about how everyone is scared to touch her well nope. because she's a princess she's well she's a princess and that makes her uh somewhat divine yeah. And I don't mean divine as in fabulous. I mean divine as in of the gods. Yeah. Uh, even Quash Dara's afraid to actually raise a, ha a physical hand against her. Yeah. Because she is descended from a king. Yeah. Who has now ascended to the gods. Yeah. The um, the general belief here with, uh, I'm going to call it kind of the royal cult, mm -hmm. is that when a king dies, they ascend to join the, the gods in the pantheon. Um, Quash Dara has further perverted this, though, because he's just decided that he's a living god. Despite the fact that everyone around him is like, mm, no, you have to really, die first. That's, that's not really how that works. Yeah. Um, but she genuinely scares her brother when she spits a curse at him. Oh, yeah. He goes running with his tail between his legs. Right. Because there's some, like, divinity behind that. There's some power behind it. And, yeah. like, genuine terror. And I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. So it's around this time that Bunchy comes into the story. Uh, she came to Sogolon while she was serving as a temple priestess in Wakadishu and directed her to go and join the Divine Sisterhood specifically to seek out and be close to Lassa Solo. Yes. It's pretty clear Bunchy's intention here is to put Lassa Solo's line on the throne. And she's going to use clandestine means to do so. <laughs> so she needs an agent on the inside. Yes. Sogolon and Bunchy work together to sneak up a different Prince of Kalandar into the monastery for Lassisolo to bear another child of legitimate birth after Lassisolo gets on board with the plan. Yeah, it's it's basically a, here I've brought you a very strapping, handsome young man, and she's like, all right, he'll do. Uh, the plan is then to find an elder to help them. And wouldn't you know it, Fumanguru enters the story here. 
kind of of his own volition. Apparently his research had turned up similar concerns regarding the succession. Well, we know that because of uh, the writings that Tracker and Mossy found in the library, the, yeah. the ones that weren't even hidden that hard. Um, and he started to make some some waves talking about how maybe the, the succession was all messed up in a way that only in a way that was kind of dog whistling to, to people the right like ears. to the right ears, to people like Sogolon and Bunchy. So they knew to kind of seek him out mm-hmm. and be like, we might have like a real king. Not this pretender who's on the throne, like the actual son of the actual daughter of the king. And Fumaguru was like, sounds good, let's do this. So the boy is born, and uh, unsurprisingly, one of the sisters of the sisterhood betrays them almost immediately. So they hastily leave the monastery. The boy ends up going to Fumaguru, who raises him as a son for three years up until he is murdered. While the princess is whisked away to Dolingo, where they're headed. To meet the queen, yes. whom the princess now works for, wink. Right? Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, they're going to go speak to the king's mother. Mm-hmm. They also need to find the king. <laughs> yes. This... <laughs> Obviously, uh, Sogolon doesn't want to talk about it very much, but uh, she kind of screwed it up. Yeah. She lost the king. Uh, no, Sogolon didn't do that at all. They were working together, so they lost the king. But Bunchi is the one who was actually at the house at the time that the Amaluzu attacked, and she took the king and whisked him away to someone she thought was trustworthy, who sold him at the first opportunity in order to enrich herself. So, really, it's all on Bunchi. Okay, fair enough. She lost the king. She lost the king. <laughs> So we come back to the present, and everyone kind of takes a beat to process this story. While they're they're thinking, Tracker again catches a whiff of the boy and tells Sogolon, okay, like, I know that they're using the magic doors. And she confirms, yeah, that's the case. And Masi is like, okay, well, hold on. We've been talking a lot about they, these mysterious people who have the boy who we're after, who are clearly not AC and the king. Who are they? <laughs> and Sogolon says, all right, well, I know who one of them is. And that is... A guy by the name of Ipundulu, the lightning bird. The lightning bird, lightning bird, lightning bird. This is where our twin lord dude starts starts in with uh, his what he knows about the lightning bird, like the stories. Yeah, and it's and he just starts by repeating like lightning bird, lightning bird, and I'm like, oh, that's like creepy and ominous. Yeah, um, Sogolon invites him to tell this story to sing this story he actually says and it's revealed that he's actually a southern griot which is a sort of bard uh one of the last remaining ones apparently because the king had them all killed because they were kind of seditionists (laughs) (laughs) they were they were telling the truth and he didn't like that part yeah so he's one of the last ones left but uh he does have a story to tell and he does tell it uh ipindulu apparently is this great monster He can appear as this handsome white-skinned man, or as a white bird, but he is evil as the day is long. (laughs) Oh yeah, just, just wretched. Just an absolute monster. Um, Some of his victims he kills, others get kind of animated by magical lightning coursing through their body that is left by him, and become sort of the living dead. That sounds awfully familiar. Oh no, that's, it's not explicitly stated, but it's pretty strongly indicated that that's the case with the woman that they had in the tower. Right. Who uh, Team B is out chasing <laughs> right now in a chariot. Yes. 
Apparently, Ipindulu, however, is running with his own personal monster squad. The bard reveals that he's running with a monster named Adzi, which is, uh, for the record, a vampire that can take the form of a firefly. Oh. Uh, he's also running with Iloko, which is a grass troll and the third member of their crew who drains their victims down to a husk. <laughs> that's, that's two more vampires on this team. And then, of course... There is another creature following them by a few days who feeds on the putrid remains. Uh, some monster that used to have a brother in the Hills of Enchantment until a few years ago when that thing was killed. And Tracker plays this real cool, but he knows. He knows it's the Sam. Oh, yeah. Um, and so do we, and it's like... Yeah, and this is the four monsters in our monster squad. And, of course, they're traveling with the Boy King. Great. Yeah. Of all the hands for this king, this boy king to fall into, it had to be a the, group of horrible monsters. The most horrible monsters. Oh. Basically a, a pack of vampires. Because yep. they're like four different flavors of vampire. Yep. Um, and uh, the boy is being used, confirmed, to gain access to dwellings. He goes in as a little, like, cuckoo. Yeah. Gains entrance into uh, into a house, and then that night lets in all the monsters and let the feasting begin. Yeah, and, and then within a week, they're gone. They go through one of the 19 doors. Yep. So that no one finds them again. And it's not like they're wreaking havoc on entire neighborhoods. It's one house at a time. Yep. So they're, uh, they've actually got a pretty sweet racket going for themselves. Yep. They're hard to catch. They move quickly and clandestinely. They've got a, they've got a pretty sweet deal set up for themselves. Yep. As monsters go. I don't think they know they have a king. I actually think they might know they have a king, and that's why he's still alive. You think? I think. The man suggests that in three years, uh, the quartet of monsters running this pack must certainly have turned the boy into a monster himself. But Sogolon will not hear it. Oh, no. She fights that notion uh, like at every turn. Tooth and nail. She is... Unwilling to accept any answer other than the boy is being coerced against his will. Oh, yeah, she is adamant in that. But let's be fair. This is because the boy is the crux of her and Bunchy's plans with Lassasolo to restore order to the kingdom. Yeah, he must be in perfect shape or everything falls apart. Pretty much. Pretty much. The man then produces a map, something Tracker is quite unfamiliar with, which actually explains his confusion with the... Keeper of the library back in Congor. <laughs> right. Because he was like, I have the guys like, look at this. They've missed a thing. And Tracker's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So he just doesn't know how maps look. Uh, he's never had to use a map before. That never occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes perfect sense. Oh, it does now. Yeah. Uh, Mossy's pretty impressed by the map, though. Um, the man apparently has been plotting the movements of the monster squad based on the stories he's been hearing. And... Uh, he's got like little arrows and X's marked out based on their movements. And Tracker's a little con- confused here because he's like, okay, I can see how they're using the 19 doors. Like this, this is clearly spelt out, but they're not using them the same way we were using them. And I don't understand what that's about. And what we learn here is a little nugget of new information, which is that you can only use a door once until you've used them all. Yeah. So they're basically going through the list. Yeah, if you try to reuse a door before you've gone through the last door, you are consumed. (laughs) Like, the magic energy just eats you up. And the monsters certainly would fear that. They would never risk doing such a thing. So what they're doing is they're, as you say, going through the list. They go through all the doors one way, 
and then they turn around and they go all through all the doors back the yeah, other way. And they come back. And that's what they've been doing for years. And that's why they've been hard to track and impossible to pin down. Mm-hmm. Well, because they're jumping all over the country quickly. Now, the good news is, assuming that the uh, the man's information is up to date, based on their current trajectory and use of the doors, they know where the monster squad is. And they are currently on their way to Dolingo. How convenient. Where the team intends to intercept them. Because our team is also on the way to Dolingo. And that is the end of chapter 17 and, and the end of part three. That's right. Part four. Monsters in Dolingo? I, I guess so. I guess. Yeah. No, this was a, a juicy chapter. Uh, we finally got all the information out of Sogolon that she's been dangling in front of us for a while. Mm-hmm. And now we can see exactly what Bunchy and Sogolon's game is here. But more importantly, we can see the flaw in it. Yes. Which is that if the Boy King has been suborned by these monsters, their plan is in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> and they might be taking a, a, an awful and mad king off the throne and replacing him with a literal monster. Possibly. Oh, except no. Because we know from the beginning, he doesn't survive. The boy? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, he does, because Tracker goes and hunts him down a second time. Sorry, he survives this time. Yeah. Uh, and Tracker does lament that he wishes that he had maybe killed the boy the first time. So I think we can kind of surmise that the purity of the boy does not go well. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and uh, Bunchi and Sogolon's plan may not uh, may not survive execution, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. This is one of those... Uh... Interesting cases where you know what the endpoint is. Like, it's not a spoiler to know what the endpoint is. Uh, but you're curious to see how they get there. Well, yeah. Like, we like know it's, from the it's beginning. It's the journey, not the destination. Exactly. Yeah. We know from the beginning that Tracker has to find this child twice. And, like, like the first, like, line or two of the book is the child was dead. Yeah. So we know he doesn't survive. But I'm really curious to see how we get to that point. Yeah. Um, my suspicion is that we will only get as far as them finding him the first time before the end of this book. Because we're running out of book. That's true. Um, and that uh, the the sequel will will follow that second time that Tracker went looking for him. So we we might not get to that in this novel. That's but, okay. Uh, but that's okay. We'll, we'll certainly get a complete story out of the first time he found the boy mm. for sure. I'm actually a little surprised that we haven't cut back to the Inquisitor in a while. That's right. We haven't. Yeah, not. I. Th- I don't think since the beginning of part two, actually. But who knows? Maybe uh, part four here will start with the problem with reading a chapter a week is that that was a really long time ago. <laughs> well, we are. Um, we are starting to get deep into this book. Um, we've, as I mentioned, we're starting to run out of book. In fact, the physically, the the separate parts of this book, the five parts are all roughly the same size. Yeah, and we're going into part four, so we're... Yeah, so we are a solid three-fifths of the way through this book. Pretty much, yeah. So uh, something to uh, keep in mind as we get into the next part and the next chapter. You'll Mm -hmm. want to read up on those in time for next week. But things are getting juicy now, so... Indeed. It's good. While you're reading up on that, um, something to keep in mind here is that one of the problems facing the kingdom in this novel is... Uh, a general difficulty for women to get into a position of power and how uh, there have been institutions that have been actively trying to prevent them from coming into positions of power for some time. And that is, as it happens, something that affects women 
today in politics. It's sometimes very hard for, for women to break into that arena Oops, in, a, in a fair way. And that includes right here in the city of Edmonton. But a new podcast is coming out that explores women in politics in our city. And here is a bit of a teaser for you right now. On December 12th, 1921, Edmontonians went to the polls and made history. At the time, Edmonton was just a tiny place on the map, comprised of just 59,000 people and still reeling from the devastating aftermath of a world war and a global pandemic. During that election, a woman the press described as a housewife received 3,341 votes and became our city's very first female councillor. Her name? Izena Ross. Join me, Stacey Brotzel, and my co-host Kim Ann Wilson on January 19th when we launch Searching for Izena, Unwomanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall. So yeah, it's Searching for Izena. Ah, okay. That's a good title. Yeah. Stacy Brotzel doing doing the work, <laughs> putting together uh, what sounds like a very fascinating exploration of of women in Edmonton's politics. Um, might not be as interesting to you if you're not a native to Edmonton, but still might be because uh-huh. it is talking about women in politics. You don't have to be local to enjoy a good story. That's true. So uh, maybe check that out. Um, other podcasts you might want to check out include the rest of the podcasts in the Alberta <laughs> Podcast Network. <laughs> well, maybe not all of them. That would take a long time. No, do absolutely all of them. <laughs> every single Subscribe one. Subscribe to every one of them right now. Go to <laughs> albertapodcastnetwork.com to find out who's there. And go to your podcatcher of choice and click subscribe on all of them. Just a bunch of times. And then while you're there, maybe also <laughs> uh, give us a little rating and a review. Yeah, you clearly have nothing better to do after all those podcasts. Yeah, that would uh, <laughs> help us a little bit. Um, you can also reach out to us on social media if you want. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. <clears throat> You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along on most of those. You can also find us uh, via email. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Duolingo! I keep wanting to say it as Duolingo. That's not right. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs>